And so let me put this second point this way, the the casting vision with tears. And let me put it kind of bluntly. We won't cast a compelling vision for mere sexuality if our posture is overly muscular and not sufficiently brokenhearted. And finally, in our efforts to cast vision for mere sexuality, if it's going to be effective, then we need to cast this vision, I believe, with hope, with hope, with joy, with tears, and with hope. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the CPT Podcast. Today, we have part two of Mere Sexuality, which is a conference message that you, Todd, gave at our 2016 Theology Conference. And I was wondering, before we get back into the message itself, if you could just talk just a little bit about the title for this message. Where did you come up with that? How did that come about? What are you trying to communicate there? Yeah, sure. Mere Sexuality. So obviously it's, or maybe not obviously, uh, (laughs) obvious for some folks, it is a uh, paying tribute to C.S. Lewis's book by a similar title, famous book by a similar title, Mere Christianity, uh, where he's trying to articulate a mere Christianity, if uh, you you know the the book, uh, Zach, you do, of course, but listeners do, uh, trying to articulate what is not Baptist Christianity or Presbyterian Christianity or Anglican Christianity, but what is um, the sort of common core convictions of of um, all the branches of Christianity. So what is it that unites Christians across time and space and ecclesial tradition? That's what he meant by mere Christianity, the core, as it were, of the faith. And uh, so I wanted to grab a hold of that, not as a, mar- a clever kind of clever marketing strategy, so to speak, to draft behind C.S. Lewis, um, but really to make a similar kind of argument that there is, in the Christian tradition, there is a consensus uh, not about everything, and and maybe not even about a lot of things, but about the core things. There is a consensus within the Christian tradition, uh, going back 1,600 years across every branch and variety of Christianity, on human sexuality, and in our um, sort of postmodern and post 1960s cultural sexual revolution era, and particularly in uh, conservative evangelicalism where you you will hear from time to time people saying things like there's never been a consensus on on anything in Christianity. There's tons of diversity and so on and so forth. I wanted to make a, a case that no, indeed there has been a consensus um, and mere sexuality is the way of talking about that. And at the heart of it, Zach, I'll just say this, is that um, uh, the, the difference between male and female, the bodily difference between male and female is both theologically significant and morally significant, or the way I put it kind of simply is it matters to God and it ought to matter to us and human relationships and the way we think about human community and identity and marriage. So that's the essence of mere sexuality. Yeah. And you gave this talk in 2016. So coming up on uh, three years ago now. That's right. And uh, you talk about this sea change in cultural opinion yes. or re- reshaping of moral intuitions. Uh, that that hasn't slowed down at all in the past three years. No, that's it? exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, the sermon series was actually delivered shortly after the legalization of same-sex marriage across the country. Uh, after in the yep. yeah, That's right. Um, and I think it was timely at that moment but by the time the book arrived in print and the talk was given at the CPT conference, it, things were moving at such 
um, such speed. It had only accelerated. It had only point. accelerated that we have, we, as some people put it, you know, we're, we're in a post-gay culture now, right? Where the issues really aren't even anymore um, for Christians, you might say, uh, questions of, of same-sex marriage and the viability or the appropriateness of that, but really it's it's the whole transgender question and and getting down even to more fundamental issues of human identity and sexuality. Um, but the, the thesis of mere sexuality still stands because in order to address the question of same-sex marriage, you have to start at first principles and talk about why do we have sexed bodies and what are the meaning what's the meaning of these sexed bodies for marriage and sexuality and and sexual intimacy sexual activity um and and so i think that the case um in mere sexuality applies just as much perhaps even more to the trans um gender moment we find ourselves in than it did back in 2015 when the main issue was for, at least for Christians, was questions of same-sex marriage. So I, th- I feel like the argument is even more relevant, talking about Jesus's sexed body, talking about the goodness of embodiment. Um, those are remarkably, in many ways, those are questions that are now up for grabs in our culture. That's just an amazing thing um, for, I think, for where we are in the Western culture and forces all of us to ask really serious questions and do some good thinking on this. So I think it's even more relevant now than it was every, five years every ago. Every bit, if not more so. Yeah, exactly. Great. All right. Well, let's get right back into Todd's talk from where we left off last week. Thanks, Todd. Being male or female is both theologically and morally significant, that it matters to God, and so it ought to matter to us as well. On the first page of the Bible, we read this, that male and female, God created them, Genesis 1.27. And then immediately we're confronted with that text, with both the canonical and the theological priority of sexual difference in Christian thinking. Sexual difference is essential to who we are. It's not accidental, it's not peripheral, it's not flexible, it's not negotiable. Sexual difference is part of our nature as creatures. It's not something we create like iPhones or automobiles. God rather has woven sexual difference into the very fabric of creation. And so because of this, our being male and female is integral to our calling as image bearers. Not least, I think we want to say, in that most basic of all human communities, the one we know as marriage. As a result, I don't think we can ignore or minimize the fact of our being either male or female without undermining our ability to flourish and our ability to find human fulfillment. And, y'all, since our sexual difference is core to who we are, it's not going to be eradicated at the, at the resurrection. Rather, it's going to persist for all eternity, though in a glorified expression. My resurrection body and your resurrection body will be sexed bodies. Just as Jesus' risen body is a sexed body. Check it out. Jesus is and always will be a crucified, circumcised Jewish male forever. Forever. 
And so these are the basic contours of what has been a longstanding, I think, and widespread Christian consensus on sexual difference with implications that touch virtually every dimension of our lives as human beings. And this is what I'm calling mere sexuality, what most Christians at most times in most places have believed about human sexuality. And so you may have picked this up by calling it mere sexuality and and the way I've, I've defined it and set it up. I'm obviously appealing to church tradition even as a low church, free church evangelical. And can I get an amen? Listen, in an age of pervasive interpretive pluralism, which I think we all realize is unhelpfully reinforced by postmodern uncertainty. It is, I think, so important for evangelicals to retrieve this Christian consensus. Many evangelicals have been weaned on a way of reading the Bible that is superficial. And we're seeing the evidence of this that has proven itself largely incapable of withstanding the destabilizing effects of pervasive interpretive pluralism. Far too many good Bible-believing folks, while deeply committed to Scripture, are deeply skeptical at the same time of tradition, even Christian tradition. And so as a result, if I can use this phrase, they work with a bastardized view of the classic Protestant doctrine of Scripture, scripture, not sola scriptura, but what's been called nuda scriptura. Which is why I'm convinced, to be perfectly honest, that redoubled efforts to lay out what the Bible really teaches about homosexuality or any other aspect of Christian sexuality, for that matter, is only likely to take us so far in our current context. It's only going to take us so far. It may convert a lapsed choir member of two or two, but as they say, we're still going to be preaching to the choir. And so what I'm saying is this, y'all. Our strategy, I think, needs to be more robust. It needs to be more robust. It's high time for evangelicals to retrieve our historic Christian tradition and the Christian teaching on questions of sexuality. In fact, I'd say this now more than maybe at any time since the first centuries of the church, the faithful need to work out, work hard to work out a counter-cultural Christian sexual ethic and at an even deeper level, So appreciated what John said in his introductory comments, a distinctively Christian view of human beings in the face of an aggressive neo-pagan worldview. But let me close by simply saying this, or actually it's not so simple, it's gonna take me a few minutes, but let me close by saying this. Our task, I think, isn't simply to recover this lost theological vision that I've been talking about, mere sexuality. If we're going to help stop the slide of evangelical Christianity into what I would call a neo-pagan sexuality, then Christian leaders like the folks in this room need to do something else. We need to cast vision for mere sexuality. Not just recover vision for our own sake, as an exercise in the retrieval and retrieval of the Christian past, but you see what I'm saying? Cast vision for the sake of others, 
as an exercise in pastoral persuasion, the kind that speaks, we pray, winsomely and compellingly into the contemporary context. Hey, everybody, just a reminder that our CPT conference on technology and theology is fast approaching. So if you've been thinking about coming and you haven't yet registered, uh, now is the time to do it. Uh, We'd love to have you out as we hear from Andy Crouch, Karen Swallow Pryor, Charlie Dates, and a lot of other great speakers. If you want to find out more about the conference or register, you can visit us at cptconference.com. Let's get right back into Todd Wilson's 2016 conference message, Mere Sexuality. So what I'm talking about is the work not simply of scholarship, but of communication. Not just exegesis or theology, but rhetoric, prose, even poetry. Our challenge isn't simply to persuade minds, but to capture imaginations. We don't need to win the culture war, but the aesthetics war. People need to see both within the church and outside the church, not just the truth, but the goodness and the beauty of mere sexuality. How do we do that? (laughs) Well, I don't want to begin to presume to have a silver bullet or all the answers, but I would like to say this. If we're going to be effective at casting vision for this thing that I'm referring to, rooted in Scripture, embodied in the Christian tradition called mere sexuality, if we're going to cast vision for mere sexuality, then we're going to have to do it, this vision casting, with joy, with tears, and with hope. We're going to need to do this vision casting with joy. As those who are genuinely ravished by the beauty of mere sexuality, not just convinced of the truth of it. The rising generation of evangelicals needs to encounter not only the rational coherence of the Christian vision of sexuality that, man, it makes sense and it makes a lot of sense, but they also need to encounter its moral, and I'll use the word again, aesthetic beauty. Here I think we do well to take another cue from C.S. Lewis, who early on evidently in his career, he developed a sense that Rational argument of the kind he puts on display in mere Christianity or the abolition of man or miracles and these these kinds of of works, he developed the, the conviction that those sorts of approaches, rational argument, would only take a person so far. What was ultimately needed, he insisted, was a baptized imagination. Which is why, check it out, he wrote not only the abolition of man, but the space trilogy to get after, as he says, the same serious points, but in a different expression. 
And so ethicist Gilbert Mylander says this of Lewis's writings, that, quote, by casting these things in an imaginary world, stripping them of their stained glass and Sunday school associations, one could make them, for the first time, appear in their real potency. Now, that, I think, is a marvelous description of what it would mean for us to commend the beauty of mere sexuality, to make it appear again for the first time, if you will, in its real potency, whether in our preaching or our prose or our tweets or our songs or best yet in the story of our own lives, commending the beauty of it with joy. But I think we're also going to need to cast this vision with tears, with tears. As those who share with others in the heartbreaking complexity of these issues, there's a lovely gentleman in our congregation, a godly man in his early 60s, a faithful member of our body who wakes up most mornings wishing he were a woman. That's a real reality. That's a complex, heartbreaking reality. Or I recently received an email from a young couple that lives on the East Coast but is thinking about relocating to Chicago and has been investigating churches and found out about ours and, and reached out. Their plans to move, though, were interrupted with the birth of their first child who was born with female genitals, but XY chromosome. That rare medical condition known as intersex. This precious couple didn't even know what intersex was until they confronted it in the delivery room. Those are complex, heartbreaking realities. Stunningly complex, gut-wrenchingly heartbreaking. And these are the stories of folks in our world and frankly, whether we know it or not, in our congregations. These are real stories. And they're not issues to be solved as pastor theologian types like to frame them up as. Like, I'm going to write a white paper on that, I'm going to solve it. Not an issue, it's to be solved. These are people to be loved even to the point, listen, of weeping with those who weep. Shedding tears of grief and sadness with them as we bear burdens with them and indeed bear and share our own burdens. And so let me put this second point this way, the the casting vision with tears, and let me put it kind of bluntly. We won't cast a compelling vision for mere sexuality if our posture is overly muscular and not sufficiently brokenhearted. And finally, in our efforts to cast vision for mere sexuality, if it's going to be effective, 
And we need to cast this vision, I believe, with hope, with hope, with joy, with tears, and with hope. With hope as those who believe in the eschatological promise of the gospel. That there is, we believe, because of the gospel, a measure of healing in this life and complete transformation in the life to come. And that this eschatological promise of the gospel is a promise that is grounded not in the righteousness, praise God, of our own sexual propriety, but in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, even for the chief of sinners. And so ultimately, each one of us, I believe, myself included, need to know in the depth of our souls that, quote, no one is righteous. No, not one. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. That a person is not justified by works of the law, nor by his or her sexuality or heterosexuality, but only through faith in Jesus Christ that we all deal with sexual struggles of one kind or another. That we all need forgiveness and healing for our sexual sin. And that we all need to know in the very depths of our soul that Jesus is more than willing to meet us there. In our place of brokenness, in our place of shame, even in our place of sin. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Brothers and sisters, most importantly, you know what we need to know? We need to know that as we open the door of our lives to Christ Jesus, our Lord, he will indeed humbly, graciously, meekly enter in bringing with him all of his grace, all of his beauty, all of his power, washing us, sanctifying us, and justifying us in his own precious and glorious name. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I think of a favorite passage out of the end of, of Romans 11, where after a great rehearsal <laughs> spread out over many chapters of your marvelous, surprising, remarkable work in the history of redemption. The Apostle Paul can't contain it any longer and he, he bursts out in praise and doxology and worship and adoration. Oh, the depths, the riches and wisdom of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Father, we do marvel at your works in redemptive history, but we also are reminded tonight and we pray through this time together of these next two days, we wanna marvel at how you've made us. Fearfully and wonderfully, you've made us. We know it full well, Father, and we bless and praise you because of it. We want to revel in the beauty of your handiwork because it's yours and because it leads us to magnify you. It directs our attention, our gaze, our adoration to you and our hearts and our minds. 
And we want to pray as well, Father, that you would give us the grace and the courage to to speak of these things. And more importantly, Father, I pray beginning with myself to live these things in a way that brings honor to you, Lord Jesus, and not disrepute. May we be found faithful as brothers and sisters, as partners in the greatest cause and in the gospel. For we pray this Christ and your strong name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, Anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.